We have been talking about, I've been speaking about, we've had other speakers talking about being empowered. Empowered to serve. That Jesus, when he left, when he was resurrected and ascended into heaven, he didn't just abandon the church for the next umpteen years, a couple thousand now, and just leave us to flounder and wonder and wait when he's going to return. No, that's not how it happened. He ascended into heaven, and the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to God's people. The Holy Spirit came, and the church was born. And we saw in Acts chapter 2, that on that day when the Holy Spirit came, like a rushing wind into that upper room, and they poured out into the streets, uh, uh, speaking in tongues and known languages, they, and people were hearing this, and, and it was just an amazing moment. That day the church was born, we would say. The church of Jesus was born that day, 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. And so we've been talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks, that the Holy Spirit empowers us, that we have gifts, that we have calling, that we have things that God has given to us to share with one another in order to encourage and strengthen. And we've been just looking at this idea from lots of different angles. And today, I want to focus on the idea that we are empowered together, that we When we look at the early church and the way it was born and the way it functioned, there's a strong sense of community and unity and togetherness in what they did. So we're going to look more into Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit has come and see what did the church do? Who was the church? So before we dive into the word this morning, I'm going to pray. Would you join me? Father, thank you that... Lord, you have empowered us. Lord, that you are right here with us. You are in us. You are speaking to us. You are leading us. You're teaching us, encouraging us, convicting us, adjusting our direction in life. God, I thank you that you care that much about us to be a part of our everyday lives. And God, I pray that as we unpack this scripture, this passage today, Lord, that you would be encouraging and strengthening every heart in this room. That with the words that we see of your scripture, the demonstration of your unity and what you uh, designed the church to be, Lord, that we would all be absorbing that and considering our own personal situation and our situation as a church and looking at it and taking encouragement and instruction from what your word teaches us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving in power in each heart and mind with the ability to receive instruction from your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. The passage I want to begin with this morning is Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And I'm going to read through them, and we're going to, as, as I'm reading these words, think about the idea that this is the first example of church in the New Testament. This is the first information we have, and there's, it's rich with details and instruction that maybe we would just normally breeze over and not give a lot of thought to, but I want to give some thought to it today as we consider who we are in the modern day world as the church and what the first century church was doing. The scripture is given to us for our instruction. And when we look at this, we take instruction from the word of God about who we are called to be today and who you are in the middle of it. So give you a little context. What has just happened is the Holy Spirit has come in a dramatic and powerful way on the day of Pentecost. They're in Jerusalem. these, These Christians pour out into the streets and a crowd has gathered around, a big crowd at the temple in Jerusalem or in the city of Jerusalem. They want to know what's going on. Why did they hear this rushing 
wind? Why do they hear these guys declaring the works of God in other tongues? They must be drunk, right? And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And then he teaches, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what was promised. And Peter preaches the gospel for the first time. He stands up and he delivers this message to the crowd, explaining this, what, who this Jesus was and what this was all about. And then we pick up in verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to go through and just pick apart some of the observations that I've had and maybe you had while reading through that passage of Scripture and maybe look at a few other Scriptures and some of the cases. And just as we're looking at these, as we're reading them, as we're absorbing them, consider you know, evaluating your own situation and circumstance according to these words. It's not just a history lesson. It's something that's meant for us to absorb and then look at our context and say, okay, are we doing what the church does? Are we doing what the early church did? Are we following similar patterns of thought and behavior in the way we're relating, etc.? The first thing I want to just mention is that the church was born out of evangelism. See, in this moment, Peter has had the courage to stand up and teach or say or preach what it was. He evangelized. He brought a message to the people. It was the message of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's giving them instruction. And it says earlier in that story that they were cut to the heart. That when they heard this information, when they began to hear what Peter was teaching them and saying that to them, their hearts were cut. And then it says they, 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 those who received it, those who believed it, were baptized. You know, and that's what we do when we receive the word of God. We're baptized as a demonstration that I'm making an adjustment here. I'm declaring to the world that I'm receiving this word. And that's what baptism is. And, it, and, and out of that evangelistic idea, that, that's who we're called to be. The church grows by evangelism. It grows by people sharing their story and teaching the story of Jesus Christ to the people around them. There's an evangelistic way in which the church is called to operate. And I wonder as I think about as a church leader and my own life and, and the church at large, do, are we evangelizing? Are we recognizing the opportunities to do what Peter did? Now, Peter, he must have been pretty good. 3,000 people got saved that day. I could, that'd be pretty cool. Do you know the first church was a mega church? Do you realize that? The first church was a mega church. For all the criticism that sometimes we have of them today, 
It was a mega church. It was huge. There was a lot of people. God wants to reach lots of people. And, and so 3,000 people came to Christ that day. It says in verse 47, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So besides evangelizing, besides evangelism being a part of the character and the nature of the church, the church is supposed to grow. They grew. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, we, when we think about the church and so, man, there, there can be a lot of attitudes and opinions, and I have to admit I have some of them. But I, you know, I really believe at the end of the day, it, it should be growing. And it has. When you consider that how many people have heard the gospel on the planet Earth since this happened, how the church began in this moment in Jerusalem and has gone to the world, how Jesus said, go to all nations, and we're nearly there. This has grown. It's been the heart of God for the church to grow. The church should grow. It is the nature of life-giving things to grow. So out of this evangelism and people giving their lives to Christ, it's growing. It's not called, I don't think the church is called to decay, to shrink, to be weak. What else do we observe in this situation? They're evangelistic. They're evangelizing. They're reaching people. They're teaching people. They're growing. We see that they came together often. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. Among several other things which we will look at. They were together. It says day by day they came together. What does that say there? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They're coming together on a regular basis. So, so day by day, this sounds a little bit harsh, and I'm not trying to be mean, but day by day is not Christmas and Easter. That's not how the church operates. You know, we can't really build relationships and have lasting significance in each other's lives in our community if we get together twice a year. And if you're one of those people that only comes on Christmas and Easter, I'm sorry for picking on you today, but you're probably not here. Right? Is it okay? God's called us to be together day by day. And they, they came together in the temple and they came together in homes. See, they're talking the temple at Jerusalem. You're talking all Jews at this point, pretty much. All Jewish people. They haven't, Christianity and Judaism haven't quite separated and parted ways yet. This is in the early days, right there in that moment. And so they're going to the temple. That was their place of worship. And they're gathering there every day. It sounds like. And they're gathering in their homes. So they're gather, gathering in large groups and they're gathering in small groups. What do we do today? What are we doing right now? Gathered in a large, okay, that might be a stretch, in a pretty good sized group. Right? We're coming together to, to hear, hey, what's going on in the church? What, what, they were devoted to the teaching. We'll talk about that in a second. They're hearing teaching. They're coming together. But not only are they coming together on one day a week just to be one big group and encourage each other for an hour or two, but they're actually getting together in their homes as well. And it's, it's exactly the same reason we do it today. Why do we do things like small groups? Why do we get together for Bible studies? Do we ha- are we having people over to our home for dinner and inviting them to be a part of our lives? I think it's a very important and characteristic thing of the church, or should be, that we are a group of people that relates to each other. Whether it's in this 
group on Sunday or whether it's throughout the week in other ways, coming together. We're called to be a people together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, and let us consider, what does it mean to consider? The instruction is, hey, I want you to consider. And so I'm saying to you as well, consider this. Think about it. How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews is drawing attention to some people are starting to not come together. They're neglecting coming together with other believers. And you know, we don't just come together so we can check the box that we came together. The idea is that we may encourage one another, that we might be a strength to one another, that you could experience my gifting and I can experience yours. That if if I find out about a need that you have, perhaps there's a way we can meet that need or vice versa. Community. We want to build community. Why? Because God's called us to be community. But we see in the scripture that it's, it's, and you know it as well as I do, it's easy to disconnect. It's easy to lose touch. You get busy. I don't want to go to a weekly meeting. I want to go, it's Memorial Day weekend. I want to go camping, whatever. That's okay. There's room for those things. But we want to be sure that we have a characteristic and a habit of coming together in both large groups and in our homes. That's what the early church did. That's how they started. By coming together. And what does it say? All the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the day? You know, the culmination of time when Jesus returns. The day of the Lord. Those kinds of phrases are used according to the scripture. And this is encouraging us all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is 2,000 years ago. I would say we're closer than we were then to that day. We don't know when he's going to return. We don't know when the day of the Lord is. No one knows. The scripture's clear about that. But more and more as the day approaches, we should be, what? Gathering together and encouraging one another all the more. And I look at the world around me today and I'm like, boy, there's just such a need more and more for us to be community. Because when you look at all all the chaos and the trouble in the world, there is a solution. And it comes through you and I, the church. We are God's answer. We collectively are his representatives. We are that city on the hill. We are a light to the world. We have those things from God. But if we're not coming together and not relating and not together on that mission that we have as a community, there are no other answers. And we've got to come together and encourage one another all the more and not get out of the habit of doing so. So we see they met at the temple and in home. So some people have issues with mega churches. Some people have issues with home churches. Uh, I'm saying it's all what the church did. They did both. And we should do both. Come together as a group and come together in small groups. Because there's benefits of both of those. And that's an example of scripture to us. What else did they do? I mean, these guys knew how to fellowship, man. I, we, we just have this window that we're looking back in time and looking at their example of how they lived and what they did. And it's very intriguing. These guys fellowshiped. I wish, I, I wish there were even more detail. I'd like to know. Such a healthy thing. It was growing and thriving. Probably what I will focus on more than anything else today is the next thing. They were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to teaching. Let's go back and look at that sentence again. 
and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted is a powerful word. It's a strong commitment kind of word. Teaching, if you, if you do a word study, or even if you just take the book of Acts and look at how many times the word teaching and taught is used, it's amazing what you can learn. You just take something like that from the Bible and go, what, what are all the things that are given to us? It's just amazing. They were devoted to the teaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, we had looked at this a little bit when talking about spiritual gifts and things like that last week where um, Paul's giving instruction and he's challenging the church at Corinth to grow up a little bit, to become more mature. Don't just stay in a place of immaturity with the gifts. We'll start to grow up in it. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? So this is a situation with the Corinthians. We talked a little bit about it last week. I'm not going to go into it today. Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. How are you going to benefit unless someone's bringing that revelation or that teaching? You see, you got revelation and prophecy working together. You know, the Holy Spirit brings revelation to us, instructs us, teaches us, leads us, those kinds of things. And we weigh those things according to the scripture because we have teaching and we have knowledge. We have the word of God in which we weigh it. It says, weigh those things, cling to what is good, let go of what's not good, which we talked about last week. But Paul's saying, I want the church to benefit. And the way that I want it to happen is through this teaching and through this prophetic ministry. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. We have, we have the authoritative word of God, and then we have the Holy Spirit with us, leading us. We have these things working together. Teaching is the, how do I say this? The most prevalent and repeated instruction to the church and to its leaders. Teach. Teach the word. So why do we do this every week? Why does JR stand up here every week or whoever's speaking and go through scriptures and try and, you know, work with it? It's teaching. It's what we're called to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. Teaching is a component, a major component of the church. Let's look at some other passages. We've got to recognize the value of it. Him we proclaim, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the intent of teaching is to bring about maturity for people. Paul's objective was to take immature Christian believers and make them mature. And it's the objective of the church to do the same. And one of the primary components through which that happens is teaching. And I wonder, you know, we, we, we talk about the idea that um, we want to be careful that in the church world and in our community that we don't just become consumers. That we just don't come to hear some uh, entertaining, you know, it, yeah, it can be entertaining, that's fine, but we need to be sure that, that what we're doing is we're coming to learn, to receive the instruction of the Word of God. So whatever comes out of the Word of God, that we take it and we make it a part of our foundation in our hearts and we live it. So it becomes part of who we are. Not so that we're just, you know, the Bible talks about, uh, in one passage, I didn't look it up, I should have, because I, you, you just have to take my word for it. But, you know, being surrounded and saying what are, tickling our ears with things we want to hear. So, let, let's, I mean, how many of you got up this morning and said, let's go to church today so JR can tickle our ears with things we want to hear? 
Well, you knew better knowing I was preaching, right? That wasn't going to happen. But we got to be careful we don't fall into that trap. The church just becomes something like that we just provide a service like Walmart or Town Pump. And you just show up in order to be serviced and then you leave. But that's not the way the church operates. The church brings instruction. It brings teaching. And that teaching is meant to be learned. And that learning is meant to be put into action to reach Paul's objective of causing us to become mature. And I have to ask myself, in in the reading of the scripture or sitting under somebody's teaching, am I kind of just entertained by their ideas or am I actually learning? Am I taking it in and making it a component of my life? Helping me become more mature and relate closer to Christ. When Paul was giving some final instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself, another word of devote, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So Paul's saying, I'm going to show up soon. Here's what I want you to be doing while I'm gone. Devote yourself to this. Teaching, reading that word out loud. What are we doing today? We're looking at the word of God together. We're put, I put it up on these screens so that you can see it and absorb it and know that we're looking at the word of God together. In the old days, you had to bring a Bible to church. How many, how many of you have a printed copy of a Bible somewhere? Okay, you all should. That was somewhat sarcastic, sorry. <clears throat> Why? We want, we want to know it, we want to learn it, absorb it be taught it. That was the instruction. You're talking about the highest levels of leadership in the church at the time. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Why do you have to put that subjective word well in there? Let the elders who rule well. I'm saying that because I'm an elder in the church and it's an uncomfortable qualifier. Be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Especially. What, what, what was Paul, was this, sorry, yeah, what was Paul saying to Timothy? What was he holding in such high regard? What was Paul considering so important that he's really giving Timothy some strong instruction about this? Those who labor in preaching and teaching is a very significant and important part of what we do as the church. So sometimes if you wonder, why does the church do what it does? Why does some guy stand in front and talk about the word of God and try and encourage and teach and motivate? Because that's been that way from the beginning. It's in, it's in the first church. And it's in all the churches that were planted. This kind of thing. It may not be exactly what we see here today, but the principles are all there and all still at work. And it, actually, that should be reassuring to us. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here we are 2,000 years later walking in the similar pattern that we see in the New Testament church. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, there we go, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is scary. It's a very powerful word. So when, when, we, when there's new teaching coming in, new information, different understanding, not that it's always wrong, but that we have to be very, very cautious about what it is. Sometimes we just like to hear what we want to hear because it suits our opinion, or it suits our situation, or it suits our, just kind of our gut instinct. That, none of those make it true. 
None of those make it true. As, a, as somebody that likes to teach a word, and I, I told you this, I think a couple of weeks ago, there's one, of the, one thing that frustrates me as much as anything is when someone just says, I believe that because that's just what I believe. Like, sorry. You have to be able to substantiate what you believe. You, and we only have one real objective source of truth, and it's the word of God. And so if, I, if I'm wrestling with some new teaching that's coming, some, some new end times doctrine, some new teaching on the Holy Spirit, some prophetic thing that's going on in the world, I have, to, I have a responsibility to take those things and look at the Word of God and wonder, is it just me, my ears itching to hear? You know, I wonder about that with the whole Trump thing this last time and the prophecies. My ears are itching to hear that Trump's going to win. So then all these prophetic words come out that Trump's going to win. Guess who didn't win? Are you uncomfortable? We've got to keep it real. We do not want to be in a situation where we're just tickling our ears with information because it, it feels good to us. We actually need to know this scripture where it says, we want to be sure we're not accumulating opinions that suit my point of view. I want real teaching. I want truth. And, and that can be a very challenging thing to work through. So we look at this scripture and we wrestle with God and we wrestle with the Holy Spirit. What is true? What's true? Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. There is plenty of this out there. And maybe sometimes we're even guilty of it. As we work through those things. We have to have grace. But we want to receive teaching, operate in Solid, healthy understanding because it's foundational for everything else that we do. What else did they do? They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Okay, what does that mean? Breaking of bread. Is that just a hobby that people do? They break bread for fun? Sorry, my humor's really bad today. What did it mean that they came together to break bread? Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. I mean, first of all, you've got the Last Supper. The night Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. It means that they did the meal together. You know, the first communion, if, it, if the, you look at the Last Supper that way, it was a meal. It, it was a time together in fellowship, breaking bread and drinking the wine and being in each other's company. And it was also illustrative of Jesus's body being broken and his blood being shed. That's why we do communion today. They didn't have little cheesy wafers and plastic cups. That's not what the Last Supper was. We do that today. It's convenient. It's a moment for a large group to be able to recognize what Jesus did and to honor that. But I think really the biblical idea of breaking bread goes a little deeper than that. It's a community thing. When Paul gives instructions in Corinthians about it, he's like, some of you are eating your meal without others. If you're that hungry, just eat at home. You know, and so it's, there's a little more to this idea and so we could talk, we could go into depth about communion. I don't want to, but really what I want to draw attention to is they're coming together in their homes and breaking bread. You're talking the small groups are breaking bread together. Not just doing communion, they're doing life. They're having meals together. They're getting in each other's lives. They're growing together. They're learning together. They're building relationships. That's what the first church did. And so should we. And so we look to that as an example. And then I evaluate my own life. Like, I'm not the greatest guy at inviting people over to my house. When I get home, it's kind of my sanctuary, right? It's like I 
I'm a little introverted and I, I don't want guests over every day of the week. But we do need to stretch ourselves to be hospitable and begin inviting other people into our lives. Some of you, that's your gift. That's what you do. That's your contribution to the kingdom. You love to open your doors and throw a party. Do it for people like me who don't want to, okay? So I can come to your house. How about that? It's your gift. It's your contribution. We want to break bread together. We want to do life together. That's what the church does. And that is in stark contrast to the sort of business idea of what church is. That we just come to, I don't know, get a little nugget, be entertained. We're going to, hey, can I challenge you in something? This is just a side note. But I, I know for people, particularly if you're newer, it's easy to kind of sneak in late and then bust out the door early right after because you're not sure you want to talk to anybody. Stay. Stay and visit. Talk. Break bread with the rest of your fellow Christians for a few minutes. Get to know some people. Is that okay that I challenge you with that a little bit? It's so healthy and important to build relationships. And you know what? It's hard. It's hard to build relationships. It takes stretching and reaching out and investment and heartache at times. But it's what we're called to do and be, and it's so rewarding. Let's break bread together like the New Testament church, like the first church did. They were devoted to prayers. Do not be anxious, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. The church is called to be a praying church. We relate to God through communication with God. We're constantly bringing things up before God, asking for His input and His direction and His intervention. We are in relationship with God. He's right here with us. He's in us. We want to be speaking to Him. Prayer is not a learned skill of fancy language. It's driving down the road one day and going, God, I don't know what the heck to do. That's a prayer. And God hears it. God, I want to, I want to smack my kid. He's driving me crazy. Help me. That's a prayer. It's okay. God gets it. He wants to smack you too sometimes. He can relate. Do we pray? Are we really bringing our lives before God? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Again, instruction directly to the church. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Again, for some of you, this is your gift. You got this down. You know how to pray. You love to pray. You're one of those people that like a half hour in prayer is nothing. Other people are like, what? Half hour? I don't even have that many words in my vocabulary. Some of you, this is what you're called to. Same with the teaching, same with the hospitality and all the things that we see going on in the early church. You are empowered to be this church. We're empowered to do this and be this. It's how God designed it. They had all things in common. They sold their goods. They were generous. They were a generous church. Generosity was, it came with the territory, man. They were selling their property. We'll look at this passage here. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them. I'm sure it's a little bit different than an American context of needy, but there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and 
brought the proceeds of what they had sold, and it was laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as has had any need. These people really gelled, man. What if God prompted you to sell your boat this afternoon and give the money to somebody you know around here that needed it? That'd be hard to do, wouldn't it? I guess if you really felt like God was telling you to do it, it'd be a good thing, and it'd feel good to do that and feel right. That's what they were doing. They were making sure that amongst themselves, nobody went without. Their needs were met. What a generous group of people this was. That would be very difficult to have that kind of radical generosity that they did. Again, I'll say it again. For some of you, this is your gift. Some of you are ridiculously generous people. Because of what you give to see the kingdom of God extended, to see people's needs met, whatever, the, whatever it is. Generosity is a hallmark of the church. Are we generous? So when I stop and I look at myself or I look at us as a church and go, are we generous? I'm really thankful I, I can wholeheartedly say yes. God has made us a generous people. I think I shared it. Or I didn't get to share it. Maybe I did. I got sick with COVID and so I wasn't able to be a part of our congregational meeting this last year. But I don't remember what, what the number, our generosity number was for last year. It was somewhere around 120,000, I think. That's how, that, that's, you guys are amazingly generous being able to give that kind of money away to missionaries and people in need and other ministries and supportive of things. I mean, it's just outstanding. God's people are generous people. And then I have to go, okay, am I being generous? I have so many examples of my fellow believers that are generous. Am I being generous? It's not a guilt thing. It's about honoring God. Drawing close to God and being the people that he's called us to be, to be that light, to be that city on a hill. What else did they do? They gave thanks and praise. I know this seems kind of maybe obvious, but what we do today when we are singing, we're praising God. We're speaking. You know, there is a difference between being quietly, internally thankful and praise, but to speak words is powerful. And when you, you know, it's why we sing songs, right? We joke about this. We sing songs because we say things in music we would never say otherwise, right? Isn't music that way? I would, I would much rather sing a love song to my wife than have to just come up and say those things all on my own. It gives me the words, and it stretches me to say something I might not, other, not, might not otherwise say. But why not praise God? Rather than keep it inside, bring it out what was the words in the song today? Your praise will ever be on my lips. Praise comes out. It's spoken. What is thankfulness? It's humbling yourself. I mean, if you're truly thankful, that's a humble position to be. I mean, if I did it myself, I don't need to be thankful to anybody. Now, as Christians, we know that that's never really the case. You don't even breathe without God. But we can get this attitude of like, I don't have to be thankful. Nobody did it for me. I did it. But when we're thankful, we're recognizing that really we didn't. It came from somewhere else. Whether I'm thankful that you brought me a glass of water. I'm thankful that I have the ability to breathe. I'm thankful that et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. I'm humbling myself before God and giving him thanks. I'm acknowledging his right position as the provider in my life. That's what the church did. They gave thanks and praise. The last major one I'll hit on, or the last one at all this morning, 
is a passage towards the end where it says that they, they were glad and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that their community liked them? They had favor with all the people. I love this subject, and I just want to grab a few verses today and put them before you to think about. The church had favor with people. Might not have had favor with the government. Might not have had favor with all the local businesses. They had favor with the people. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders who are outsiders, people not part of the church, non-believers, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I sometimes wonder, am I making the best use of the time? I have a limited amount of time. Every year at my birthday, I'm like, wow, I don't have enough time. It's just not going to be enough time. So I want to make the best use of that time. And there's so many voices out there and so many situations just trying to draw me into uh, contributing to it. So many things that I could give my time to and my energy and my opinions and my effort. But I have to be wise. We have to be wise. The church needs to be wise. Make the most of the time you have. What is the most important thing you need to be doing? What is the most important situation for you to get involved with in the world around you? And letting your speech always be gracious. Another reason I'm I'm just done with Facebook. (laughs) Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, but always gracious. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Moreover, he, he's talking about someone who's going to be an overseer or an elder. He's talking about qualifications to be a leader in the church. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. Are you telling me that in my church, we're going to put somebody in leadership and the opinion of the community matters? That's exactly what I'm telling you. It is so important for the church to not, not to be wishy-washy, not to be friends with worldly concepts, but if you are an honorable, gracious, loving person to everybody in your life, you will be an honorable person to them. You will be somebody that they respect. An overseer must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It does matter. The church's reputation matters. Your, church, your reputation matters. We need to make the most use of the time that we have. And we want to walk in wisdom with the world around us. The third verse I want to look at. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Isn't that interesting that it matters? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Listen. I don't know how to say it. We we will never, we're we're not going to be justified in this lifetime. That's not going to happen. 
What does it say here? When will those who have opposed you and spoke against you and been your adversary in this life, when are they going to speak well of you? On the day of visitation? When's that? The end? Are you okay with the idea that perhaps all of your efforts in this life to be a good person and a light in other people's lives, you may not ever win that respect from them. But see, we aren't judged according to modern standards. When you stand before God, he's not going to say, congratulations, you're the best American ever. That's not how he's going to judge. Ouch. How is he going to judge? According to the truth of his word. And so why do we need to keep our, our conduct honorable? Because we're representatives first and foremost of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which transcends time and space and nations and communities and languages and people and situations. Situations, they come and they go. The word of the Lord is eternal. This gospel is eternal. It's what we represent. And we want to be honorable with it, not dishonorable. It's so valuable. And Paul particularly, and Peter here, drawing attention to how important your conduct in the community around you is. Be a good person. Always gracious. It's okay to be seasoned with salt. Always gracious. Are you okay with that? Are you challenged by that? Let me ask you a couple questions in conclusion today. And I'm asking myself, are we devoted to the same things that the original church was? And I'm looking around going, we meet in a big group. We meet in small groups. We teach the word. You know, we gather together. We encourage one another. All of these things are still happening 2,000 years later. I'm super encouraged, but I'm also motivated to keep going. To keep building. To keep drawing near to him and what he's calling us to do. To live that mission that God has for us as a church as a whole, but also for you as an individual. So how do you fit in this picture of the church? When we're looking at how the church operated in their generosity, in their hospitality, in their teaching, there's room for everybody in that. The Bible instructs us that we are all a part of the body. We all have something to give, to contribute. And my challenge to you today is to continue to wrestle with, if we're really empowered to serve, how do I fit in that picture? Because I need you and you need me. How do we work together even more? You can look around the room today and see these things. I see, I see generosity. I see teachers. I see prayer people. People that are hospitable. People that can sing and lead us in praise. People that can evangelize and are just good. Not, evangelism isn't just standing on a soapbox on the corner like, It's the ability to bring a message to somebody else. A good news. All of those things are present and all all kinds of gifting and diversity in the body of Christ. Would you stand please? How do you fit? Lord, I thank you this morning for your word that guides us and instructs us. Lord, that gives us this great example of what the church is. And some of those we're comfortable with and they come naturally and other things are a little challenging. But God, I pray for every person in this room, Lord, that your spirit 
would be encouraging them towards who they are in this process, to playing their part, to using their gift. God, I pray for more togetherness in the days ahead, more breaking of bread, more being together in homes and in in a large group. God, I just pray that you would bless us with a sense of togetherness and community to a greater extent. God, that out of that community, this mission that you've called us to, to teach all nations about you. God, that you'd be motivating that in all of us and leading us in it. In Jesus' name, amen.